Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Terror Radio Podcast, where we are dedicated in bringing you the best of horror and suspense old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. This is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, giving a huge thank you to everyone that has supported this podcast from the beginning. As well as well as um, word of mouth, I received some encouraging news earlier this week. It looks like Terra Radio has again charted on um, the top listening charts on Good Pods. We were number three on the top 100 drama chart, number three on the top 100 independent drama chart, and number 11 on the top 100 independent fiction chart which is absolutely mind-boggling so again thank all of you and as i've stated before there is more to come so without further ado this is terror radio now the two radio programs featured tonight are the hermit's cave and a short-lived 1960s series entitled Macabre. Now, Macabre slid in right towards the end of the golden um, old time radio, the golden age of radio era. It debuted in early 1961 and ended in the middle of 1962, and it was sponsored by the armed forces. It was created by William, and I hope I pronounced this right, Verdier who was an assistant production director of the FEN, the Far East Network. He was a former radio employee with NBC and CBS who wound up working in Japan for AFRTS, which stands for the Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Out of the nine episodes, he wrote seven of them as well as directed most of them. Now, the production team mainly consisted of local staff. In fact, several of the staff were actual military personnel. So, the acting isn't always top-notch. And the sound effects are sketchy at best. But, in my opinion, the scripts are well-written. And the series is still extremely entertaining. And I did discover when I was um, doing further research on the series that it actually came about from a contest between both networks, the Far East Network and the um, Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Supposedly, they sent in tapes to the AFRTS headquarters in L.A. and the Far East Network actually won. Now, the radio play Tonight is entitled Final Resting Place, and it's actually the first episode of the series. And it first broadcasted on November 13th, 1961. So, you know the drill. Sit back, turn down the lights, and enjoy Final Resting Place. Thank <laughs> you. 
world of time and space. He lives in the spectrum of the universe. When he ventures beyond this limit, he is in the unknown, a realm where strange forces are brought into play. When man attempts to misuse these forces, he is sometimes destroyed. This is Macabre. Network presents in special performance Macabre. Tonight's story Final Resting Place. Justice of the Peace back at Carterville said the lake was on the main highway. We haven't made any turns. But, darling, it's getting dark. This road doesn't look well-traveled. I really think we made a wrong turn somewhere. Mrs. Kent, your husband solemnly promises to deliver his bride of a few hours safely and surely to Honeymoon Lodge on Mirror Lake. Now, let's hear no more about it. Come on, move closer. Head on my shoulder. That's it. (laughs) Roger, you better watch the road. Why? We haven't passed another car for an hour. Relax, Sue. It's a fine way to start a married life of bliss. Look, there's a sign. Can you make it out? Yeah. Randolph, five miles. Uh, are we supposed to go this way? Sure. What I tell you, it's only 50 miles farther. Randolph is our halfway point. But it's country road. How can they call a lonely trail like this a highway? <laughs> You're just a sophisticated cityite. Now close your eyes and listen to the radio. We'll be there before you know it. Mm-hmm. Oh, my darling. I guess I'm getting jumpy. <laughs> Head on my shoulder and not another word. Okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we interrupt this program to bring you a special news bulletin. Authorities of the state asylum have just issued the following warning. A dangerous homicidal maniac escaped custody this morning and is believed to be in the vicinity of Randolph. Roger. He's 45 years of age, weighs 200 pounds, has thick gray hair, and answers to the name of Dr. Vardmore. We repeat... This man is a dangerous killer. Those in the vicinity of Randolph are urged to take extra precaution tonight. Since this killer is armed, the public is warned against walking alone or driving at night on the quiet roads near Randolph. Report all suspicious persons to the county sheriff's office. Now we return you to Stars of Music. <gasps> Roger, did you hear that? Sure, but how does it concern us? Darling, we are driving down a country road near Randolph. Or we should have car trouble or a flat tire. Oh, you are getting jumpy. Let's stop in Randolph for the night. But Sue, our reservations at Mirror Lake are for tonight. I have the strangest feeling. If we don't stop at Randolph, we'll never reach Mirror Lake. Ah, uh, great idea, Sue. What, darling? Stopping here for the night. Now we can see the carnival. It's all right while these people are here, I, I guess. We'd better go back to the hotel before they leave. Are you still afraid? Well, kinda. Aren't you? Ah, come on. I'll show you a good time. You'll forget all about it. Okay. What's that man doing over there? And now, ladies and gentlemen, if you'll kindly step closer, I don't know. I'll demonstrate for you one of the great marvels of all time. 
As you see, at my feet is a hole, an excavation six feet in depth, a grave, if you will. And beside me here is a casket. Now, friends, what do you think we are going to do? Now, friends, ladies and gentlemen, have no fear. Tonight, I, Professor Vincent, will select someone, one of you from the audience, to be hypnotized and placed in this casket. Then, I will bury him alive for five days. If he's not buried that long, he ain't going to wind up much alive. Yes, the moment, please. Five days at $100 a day. Now, what do you say? Who wants to make $500? There is absolutely no danger. A shaft will be sunk so that we can see your head. You'll get plenty of light and air. Food will be lowered to you. Nothing to it at all. Who'll be the first volunteer? You got as popular as Undertaker, pal. Come, come now, ladies and gentlemen. Under hypnosis, believe me, five days will seem like an hour. The easiest $500 you've ever made. Who will volunteer? How about you, my bumpkin comedian friend? No, sir, Ray. Last year I took sick with pneumonia. But sure I ain't up in one of them boxes. Did you recover? It's hard to tell from looking at you. <laughs> you, sir, what is your name? Roger, he's pointing at you. I uh, don't think I'd be interested. Uh, who are you, sir? Roger Kent. Roger Kent. Does $500 interest you? Well, sure, but, uh... Good. Good, you'll make a fine subject. Now, wait a minute. And, Roger, who is the young lady with you? My wife, Sue. Oh? And what do you say, Mrs. Kent? Why, I... I think it's just a dreadful idea. No. You better pick someone else, Professor. Nonsense. Do you need the money? We do need it. But not this way, Roger. It's awful. 500 bucks would pay off the car. We still have 10 days left for our honeymoon, Sue. Well, how about it, friends? Don't let him tempt you. I don't like that man. He does a lot of money for only five days. We can't wait all night. What do you say? I, uh, I, I don't know. Say no, Roger. Speak up. Yes or no. I'd hate to turn it down. You're not going to be buried in that terrible coffin. Tell him no. Go ahead, pal. We got a first class Roger and Sue, time's up. Tell you what I'll do. Think it over. If you decide to go through with it, come back after a couple of hours when the carnival is closed for the night. I'll be waiting for you in my trailer. Oh, Roger, he wants you. I'm afraid of that man. Don't forget, I'll wait up for you until you decide one way or the other. Roger Kent will hold the grave open for you. Listen, Sue, my mind's made up. But suppose... Face up to it. We need the money. That's the easiest 500 bucks I ever heard of. Darling, I know that. Then what's the matter? Well, in the first place, we shouldn't be out here in the dark with that madman loose. In the second place... Professor, Professor Vincent, Vincent seems too interested in me. Oh, Roger, you read my mind. I'm just trying to protect you, honey. That man, I, I don't know that... Something wrong. Admit it, Sue. You don't like the Barrett Alive Act, isn't that it? Yes, yes, I guess so. It's horrible. I thought so. Uh oh, this must be his trailer. Professor Vincent. Here it is. Roger. Yeah? 
If he answers, there'll be no turning back. It'll be too late. I know. No turning back. Professor Vincent? Come in, Roger and Sue. Come in. Did you really think would come? I was certain. You see, there is no other way. Three, Roger. You will be asleep. Sound asleep on your feet. Then, Roger, you will be placed in the coffin and lowered into the grave for your five-day rest. Now look deeply into my eyes. Deeply. Inhale. And look deeply into my eyes. You're going to sleep, Roger. To sleep. You can no longer move your arms. They hang helpless at your side. Sleep, Roger. Close your eyes and sleep. One, two. Your eyes are closed. And now you are powerless to open them. You are free. Asleep. Ladies and gentlemen, we are ready to place Roger Kent in the casket. Whom among you in the audience will help me? I will, Professor. All right, my friend, step right up here now. Here, help me raise the lid of this coffin. Now, uh, give me his feet and we'll put him in. Careful, careful, he's a big man. There, there, he's in. Gosh, heavy as a rock. Just like a dead man. <clears throat> yes, now, now, close the lid. Close it. Now we're ready to lower into the grave. You see, the casket is supported over the open hole by two chains. If you'll flip that switch the same time I flip this one, Mr. Kent will be gently deposited in his grave. This one? Yes. There it goes. Glory be. Just like a real funeral. Reminds me of the time we buried my grandpappy. Ladies and gentlemen... In just a few moments, the coffin will lie at the bottom of the grave. We will then place an air shaft down to Mr. Kent's head so that he will be able to breathe. And all of you will be able to see him at 25 cents apiece. I don't know. I just don't know. Thank you, friend. You've done your work now. Will you kindly leave? Thank you. You are witnessing the marvel of the age. A human being being buried alive. The casket has stopped. Will another volunteer from the audience help me position the air shaft? How about me? Fine. Step up here, friend, if you please. You picked the right one this time, Governor. So? I used to work at a funeral parlor. Handle the stiffs. Uh, yes, now. Now, just pick up that end of the metal shaft, please. Easy does it. Now, down over the round opening on the casket lid. Careful now. There. Thank you very much, my friend. Neat, very neat. Okay, Governor. What next? Uh, the shovel. The hole must be covered up. And that is it, ladies and gentlemen. You have just seen demonstrated the marvel of the age. A man buried alive. Mr. Kent will lie there in a deep slumber. The end of which time we'll dig him up and pay him $500. In the meantime, my friends, you may step up here and view him down the shaft with a small sum of 25 cents 
One quarter to one fourth part of a dollar. Ladies and gentlemen, who will be first among you? No, sir. What's that you say? Dishonest, I say. What's the matter with you? Charging money to see him buried alive. What? I ought to know. I helped you lift him in. Leave the carnival, sir. Leave here immediately. That man ain't buried alive. He's dead. <laughs> Hello? Hello, Mrs. Kent. This is Professor Vincent. I got your message. First chance I've had to call you. Oh, Professor, I'm so glad you did. Uh, what's on your mind? How is Roger? I keep telling you he's all right. Now you must stop this nonsense. Well, it's been three days since he was buried, and he just lies there so still. Oh, if I could only talk to him. Mrs. Kent. I called down to him, but he never moves or opens his eyes. And after all this time, I know something is wrong. Roger wouldn't let me worry like this. He'd at least look up and smile, if he could. How many times must I repeat he is hypnotized? We interrupt this program for a special news bulletin. Oh, just a moment, Professor. The radio... Sheriff's office has just confirmed the whereabouts of the homicidal maniac who escaped from the state asylum three days ago. This dangerous killer who calls himself Dr. Bardmore is now known to be in the immediate vicinity of Randolph. Everyone is cautioned against walking alone on the streets after dark. If you plan to attend the carnival, kindly do so with friends and leave the carnival in the company of others. Report all suspicious persons. We return you now to your regular program. Did, did you hear that on the radio? Uh, yes, yes, I did. Oh, Professor, I'm terribly afraid. I don't want Roger alone down there with this, this madman, Lou. Please, Professor, dig Roger up tonight. Mrs. Kent, we made a bargain, a business proposition. Kindly stay in your hotel room and rest. This is the third day. The day after tomorrow, it will be all over for Roger and for you. Pardon me, ma'am. Are you Mrs. Kim? Why, yes. Who are you? I'm the one who helped put your husband in the casket. Well, why are you talking to me? I don't know. Just to warn you, I guess. I think your husband's dead. Oh, you horrible, horrible little man. Get away from me. I'll call the police. Thank you, Mrs. Kent. Oh, Professor Vincent, I'm so glad to see you. That terrible little man. Yes, I heard what he said. Now get hold of yourself and listen to me carefully. This is the fifth night. I want you to go to the hotel and wait until the carnival is over. Tonight is the last showing at Randolph. At 11.30, you take a taxi out here to the lot. I'll meet you. Roger will be ready along with the $500. All right, Professor. Anything you say. Oh, thank God it's about to end. Yes, my dear. It's all about to end. Are you going out, Miss Kent? Yes, clerk. And here's the key to my room. Thank you. I don't think it's wise, though. I mean, you're going out alone. It's after 11 and mighty dark tonight. The police haven't caught the killer yet? No. Funny thing, too. Looks like he'll have to leave a fresh trail. You know, kill somebody so they'll have more to go on. Now, why don't you take someone with you? Oh, I'll be all right. I'm meeting Professor Vincent at the carnival lot. This is the night they released my husband. I see. Do you know the professor? Oh, yes, I do. Well, he's the one who hypnotized Mr. Kent. No. Professor Vincent didn't. What? Professor got sick five days ago. Got sick? Well, then, 
And who was Professor Vincent at the carnival? I don't know. Somebody who took his place, I guess. Here you are, driver. Thank you. Blowing in the wind. Oh, why did I let that cab leave? Light in sight. Those trees around the lot. What if, if the killer were hiding there? Oh, the place Roger was there. It was in this direction. This way. Maybe I can find it. The grandma will be gone. But he's like a mutton filled hole. Must be right around here. Oh, 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 where is it? Five blocks away. Maybe I can make it there. Oh, it oh, oh, moved again. There is someone out there. Roger, Roger, is, is that you? No, it's coming after me. It's, it's too big for Roger. I, I don't know what it is. It's getting, it's getting on me. I can't, I can't let it catch me. No, no, no! Mrs. Kent, calm yourself, please. Who, who are you? Don't you know? I'm Professor Vincent. I was waiting for you. Now, come with me to my trailer. No, you're not Professor Vincent. So, you guessed. Who are you? There's nothing to be alarmed about. You're in safe hands at last. I am Victor. Dr. Victor Vardmore. Sleep, I guess. Hmm. Legs being cramped. Mine's foggy. Can't remember what happened. <sighs> Sue, where are you? Dark. Pitch black. Must be night. Quiet. Not a sound. I could only remember. Thinking back. <laughs> Smells damp, like fresh earth. Where am I? Gotta get up and stretch my leg. <laughs> no rooms. Wait a minute. There was this carnival. Professor Vincent. Oh, it's beginning to come back now. I was hypnotized and put in a casket. Buried for five days, you know. Yeah, it's clear now. <laughs> Time's up. Yeah. They're gonna dig me up now. Boy. The deep did not expel that old boy put me in. Glad it's over. Okay, Professor, you can bring me up now. 
I guess he stepped away from the shaft. Shaft? Where's the shaft? It's supposed to be over my, over my head here so I can see up. I can't see a thing. Cloth line, coffin lid, where shaft should be. What's going on here? I'd, I'd like to get out, Professor. Possible they went away and left me buried alive? Oh, no. And I, Professor! Sue! Help! I'm buried alive! you to listen very, very carefully. Sue, there. Go ahead, Sue. Tell him. Oh, Roger, are you all right? Yes. What's he doing with you? Please do as he says, darling. He's not the real professor. He's that escaped madman from the asylum, Dr. Vardmore. She's crazy, Sue. Please, darling, we have no choice. Please, please. Listen to me. One move like that and I will kill you both. I have gone to a lot of trouble to set up my final demonstration. I am going to try personality transference. We have the required situation. A man buried alive in mortal fear of death. And the woman he loves, who will do anything to save him. If we do, as you say, what then? I will release the two of you. And if we don't... You have just enough oxygen for just a few more minutes. I see. Hurry, Dr. Vardmore, get it over with. Now, Roger, I want you to think about Sue. Sue, you about Roger. Each imagine he is the other. Roger, you are standing beside me in the trailer. Sue, you are lying down there in the casket. No! Cooperate and I will free you. It's your only way out of that grave. You mean I'll be in Sue? Yes, and she in yours. Do it, darling. It's our only chance. It's not Sue. That's enough. One more refusal. And I'll turn off the shortwave transmitter and leave you in your dark world forever. Now, Roger. Imagine you are Sue standing here. Sue, you concentrate on being Roger in the casket. Think. Put everything else out of your minds. I have it. Repeat something you both know. Say the 23rd Psalm. Here we go now. 
Start with me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table. heard Macabre, a special Far East Network presentation. In our cast were John Buey as Professor Vincent, Mitzi Hennessy as Sue, William Verdier as Roger, Milton Radmilovich, Air Force Sergeant Bob Eddy, and Air Force Sergeant Newell Stewart. Technical supervision by Hiroshi Odo. This is Air Force Sergeant Al LePage speaking. Macabre was written and directed by William Verdier. Macabre comes to you each week at this time through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Out of the nine episodes that are available, to me, I think this has to be uh, one of the better ones. So I hope you enjoyed that. Now, next we have The Hermit's Cave. The Hermit's Cave was a syndicated radio show. And the syndication was done via scripts, meaning that individual stations could actually use their own cast for the shows. Now, in doing research for this series... I found some discrepancies when it comes to when the show started. Some say it started in September of 1935, while others said it started in September 1937. So let's just say that it started in the mid-30s and ended in 1944. Throughout its run, it moved to various radio stations. From the mid-30s until the mid-1940s, it was broadcasted on WJR AM radio station in Detroit, Michigan. And these shows were recorded and again broadcasted the following week on WBBM in Chicago. And from 1940 to 1944, the series ran on KMPC AM radio station in Los Angeles and was produced by William Conrad. And you've probably heard his name on some of my past episodes because he was a very prolific um, 
writer, director, actor in radio, and then later in television in the 70s and early 80s. The radio play tonight is entitled Notebook on Murder, and it was first broadcast in 1940. So sit back, turn down the lights, and listen to Notebook on Murder. The Mummers in the Little Theater of the Air. Now, the Hermit. What's all the racket about? Well, stop crying and tell me what it is. There was someone in my room. Oh, you've been dreaming. No, no. I woke up and heard, heard my door creaking open. I could feel it. There was someone standing in my room. And then I heard them run down the stairs after I called out. Hubert, you've got to go downstairs and look. Well, of course I'll look, but you don't think there's going to be anyone in the house after all you're screaming, do you? Oh, Hubert, wait a minute. I'm going with you. You better stay right in bed, Cora. No, I'm afraid. You said you heard someone go downstairs. I know, but I won't stay here alone. All right, come on. I think you just had a nightmare. Oh, no. That's a nice way to wake a guy up out of a sound sleep. All the screaming. Oh, you'd have screamed, too. Yeah, not much. I tried to nab whoever it was. Look, careful, Hubert. The burglar may have a gun. I can't find the light switch here in the living room. I'll get it. What? Look. The rug is kicked up. Someone was in here. And look. The things on the table have all been disturbed. Yeah. Hubert, where are you going? Well, to look through the house. Oh, wait for me. Dining room window. I see it. Well, by 
George. They came in through the dining room window. It should have been locked. I thought it was. I haven't had these windows open for ages, not since I've been home. Well, I'll be... Where are you going? Why, to phone the police. There sure has been someone in this house. Looks like they used this window for entrance and escape, all right. Uh, Hal, find any footprints outside the window? No, not a darn one. Hmm. Well, maybe they didn't use the window. Well, there's a cement drive outside this window. It's possible they could have stepped on the cement both entering and leaving. We'll take fingerprints of the window. Now, let's see, uh, a few questions. You were the only one who heard the noise, Mrs. Armour? Yes. I heard the door to my bedroom open slowly. Then close, and then someone running downstairs. And the first thing you heard? My wife screaming. How far is your room from hers? Just across the hall. Are you a sound sleeper, Mr. Armour? Well, I guess so. I rarely wake up during the night. And you, Mrs. Armour? I don't sleep so well. You see, I've been ill and in the hospital. I, I'm not well at all. I... There, now, Cora, everything's all right. My wife had a nervous breakdown recently, officer. Oh, I see. Well, just a few more questions, and then we'll let you go back to bed. Uh, any valuables in the house? No valuables, exactly. I usually have quite a bit of money on me. Why is that? I don't bank anymore. Cash my salary checks, and what I don't put into bonds, I use to pay bills. How about tonight? Oh, the money's safe in my room. How do you know, Hubert? Oh, silly, I looked when you yelled burglar. Who knows that you carry a good sum of money around with you, Armour? Oh, I don't know. Some of the boys around the office, I guess. I may have mentioned it in the bar. Hmm. They've got those fingerprints, Hal. All set. Yeah, we won't disturb you anymore tonight. Obviously, there's no one here now. They didn't get anything this time, and they may not disturb you again. Oh, I hope not. It was awful. My nerves can't stand it. Go back and get a good night's rest. That is, what's left of it. You won't have any visitors again tonight. Mrs. Armour. Remember me? Oh, yes. You're one of the policemen who was here last night. Mind if I come in? I'd like to ask you a few questions. Oh, no, come in. I was just out in the kitchen finishing up the breakfast dishes. Well, then we'll go out there. I can talk to you while you work. Uh, did you sleep after we left? Well, yes, sir, I did. And you know... This morning, I can't remember much of what happened last night. That's all? But I don't remember things well at all. Not since I've been sick. Lots of times, things are foggy with me. How long were you in the hospital, Mrs. Armour? Let's see. It was... Well, it was a long time, over a month, I guess. What brought on your illness, Mrs. Armour? Well, sir, I don't know exactly. Were you unhappy? Yes, sir, I was. What about? Well, Hubert got so he didn't pay any attention to me. That's so? Stayed out a lot nights? Yes, he did. He was never home. But since I've been in the hospital, he's been wonderful to me. Kind and good and home every night. Oh, came to his senses, didn't he? Yes, sir. There's been a great change in Hubert. That's good. Yes. I feel like I can get well now. Of course, the burglar coming has upset me. 
coming into my room like that and standing there in the darkness. Hubert says if it wasn't for that window being open in the dining room, we might just think of it as a bad dream I had. Well, Mrs. Armour, we're going to keep an eye on the house. And we want you to help us. All right. What do you want me to do? If you see any strange persons hanging around here in the daytime or night, you call the 4th Street Station and report it. Now, uh, here's the telephone number. Or anything strange that happens, you remember and tell us. Sure, I will. The best I can. You know, it might be a good thing, Mrs. Armour, if you wrote things down in a notebook, as long as you can't recall things very well. Oh, what should I write down? Oh, anything odd that happens. And uh, what's more, Mrs. Armour, you keep this notebook a secret, just between you and me. Think you could do this? Why, sure, I guess so. Not even tell your husband? I could keep it from him. Good. Now, let's see. Suppose you keep these notes under the mattress of your bed. Only you and I will know that they're there. Write down anything you want to and keep it for me. There was a peddler at the door this afternoon. He had funny eyes. I thought he might be the burglar come back again. Didn't let him in. He went to Mrs. Joyce's next door. She didn't let him in either. Hubert read to me tonight about a burglary on the south side of town. This burglar got in through a window, too, the basement window. He took money and silverware. We haven't got any good silverware. minutes to 12 midnight. I just woke up and I'm scared. Awful scared. I'm writing in this notebook because I've sort of got accustomed to doing it. And it steadies my nerves a little. I've been writing in it for a couple of weeks now. But the policeman called Hal hasn't been around to see it. Maybe it's because I haven't called or had anything to tell him. But I'm scared tonight. It was at supper that Hubert said... You aren't frightened of burglars anymore, are you, Cora? Sometimes I'm afraid of him coming back again. Oh, fiddlesticks. There won't be any more disturbance after all this time has passed. Oh, I hope you're right. Of course I am. Well, anyhow, I have to go out tonight. You... Oh, Hubert. Now, don't cloud up and cry, baby. No one's going to hurt you. What's more, we'll see that all the windows are locked and the doors. Why do you have to go out, Hubert? A buyer. Boss asked me to see him tonight. I'm afraid. Terribly afraid. Now, listen. There's nothing to be afraid of. Before I go, I'll see that you're safely tucked in your bed. Well, you were complaining before supper about being tired. So you can take a little sleeping pill and go to bed early. Then I'll lock all the doors and you'll be as safe as a bug in a rug. What's more, I'm going to be home early. I told the boss I couldn't leave my wife for too long a time. So Hubert got me all fixed up. 
And after taking the pill, I did fall asleep. But a little while ago, something must have woke me up. It's exactly 12, and Hubert isn't home yet. I know because I just called out and he didn't answer me. It must have been about 10 or 15 minutes ago that I woke up and heard something outside my room. One step. And then a long pause. And then another. For a minute, I was so scared I couldn't even breathe. Somehow, I just seemed to know that whoever was coming down the hall was coming to my room. And for me. For a few seconds, I couldn't move. Just sort of paralyzed with fear. And then I got brave enough to reach out and turn on my bed lamp. The person must have been real close to my room when the light went on. There was one more step. And then they stopped. Officer Hal, as true as I'm writing, they stopped right outside my door. I heard a board creak. Then all was very, very still for almost years, it seemed. And then I heard very quietly as if someone was tiptoeing footsteps leaving my room. The light, the light has frightened them away. Oh, I'm so certain that it was someone coming for me, but what am I going to do? I'm too truly afraid to go downstairs and phone for the police. I'm going to call out to Hubert again. Hubert? Hubert? No. Hubert isn't home yet. Or perhaps... Perhaps whoever has come into this house has done something to Hubert. Hubert! door. I know it. Someone just moved outside my door. I'm going to hide this notebook under the mattress like you told me to do, and then I shall scream out the window for help. Just after Cora Armour puts the notebook under the mattress, 
She goes to the window, opens it, and is ready to scream for help. The door to her bedroom opens, and she calls out in terror. She sees a man standing there with a gun in his hand. One pleading cry, and then... <laughs> Cora has been shot, murdered. Will the police be able to find her assassin? The hermit will tell you before the night is done. <laughs> hear a key turn in the door. The door unlocks. Swings open. And closes. Then the light switch is clicked on. Hubert Armour stands in the hallway of his home. He steps over to the mirror hanging on the wall. He looks himself over carefully. Brushes his hair with his hands. Now he looks at the stairs leading up to Cora's room. He pauses for a few seconds. Then he walks into the living room, turns on the lamp beside his chair, sits down. From his pocket, takes the early morning edition of the paper, scans it, Hmm. dropping the paper all around his chair. Now he rises, turns off the lamp, walks into the hall. He calls Cora's name. Cora! Cora, you awake? Naturally, there's no answer. For Cora lies murdered in her bedroom. A large red stain soaking the carpet on the floor. The blood is dripping slowly. Slowly, a crimson pool is collecting there. Hubert calls again. Cora! Cora, I'm home. And now he looks about him into the darkened room leading off from the hallway. Now there's a startled look of apprehension, fear on his face as he begins to mount the stairs. Hmm. Cora, are you awake? Hubert pauses outside the door, just as the murderer did only a little time before. He listens. Now his hand reaches out for the doorknob. Cora. Cora. She's dead. Blood. She's dead. Dead. Operator, get me police headquarters, please. Hello, police headquarters. This is Hubert Armour. 97864 Crawford Street. Cup at once. Hurry, it's my wife. She'd been murdered. All right, Armour. Suppose you tell your story over again, just as you told it before. And you left the house when? At 7.30, officer. And where did you go then? I went directly to the office where I was to meet Mrs. Davis. Was she there when you arrived? Oh, yes, sir. She was waiting in her car outside the office building. And this was uh, approximately at what time? Well, I think it must have been about 8 o'clock. 8 o'clock. Mrs. Davis will be able to verify this? Oh, yes, of course, officer. Well, why are you grilling me so carefully? That isn't going to help us find out who killed my wife. Go on with your story. Well, I suggested to Mrs. Davis that we drop into the Greenbrier Club to discuss her insurance policy, and she agreed. Yes? 
Go on. So we left her car standing near the office, and she got into mine, and we drove to the Greenbrier Club. The doorman took care of your car? Yes, sir, and he'll remember that. Well, you can check all of this that I'm telling you. We will. Go on. Well, there isn't any more to tell. We sat there and talked, had a bite to eat. What time did you leave the club? Well, a little after ten, I think. Then what did you do? Well, I took Mrs. Davis over to her car. Then? I drove straight home, put the car in the garage. What time did you get home, Mr. Armour? I didn't look at my watch, but it must have been a little after eleven. But you didn't call us about the murder of your wife until 20 minutes after midnight. Why was that? I didn't know my wife was murdered, officer. I called out to her when I came home, but she seemed to be sleeping. She'd taken a sleeping pill before I left tonight, so naturally I thought she was still asleep. So what did you do then? I went into the living room with a paper, sat there and read a while. All the while until I, I went upstairs and discovered my wife's murder. I don't, I don't know what time it was I called you. We know. And we know other things, Hubert Armour. We know at what time your wife was murdered. She told us. What, what do you mean, she told you? She told us just as much as if she were alive now. But I don't understand what you're driving at. No. And when your wife told us at what time she was murdered, she also told us who murdered her. But who? Who did it? You were very clever, Hubert Armour, from the very start. When you planned this crime. When you called us here to hunt for a burglar who was no one but yourself. That's a lie. You built this thing up slowly. Tonight you carefully accounted for the, your time up to the 11 o'clock. The remainder of your alibi was weak. It might have been strong enough if Cora Armour had not left us a notebook on crime. A, a what? I asked her to keep a notebook. To tell me all the strange things that happened in this house. She did. She kept it faithfully. Midnight tonight... You, according to her own writing, were not home. She called out to you, but you didn't answer. But you were here. You came in. You crept to the door of her room. You lost your nerve. You came back at midnight, shot her, left the house to dispose of the gun, returned, sat down in your chair and looked at the paper, then went upstairs to look in her room and to report her murder. Yes, Armour, you had it all planned very carefully. But you didn't reckon with Cora Armour's notebook. There's someone outside my door. I know it. Someone just moved outside my door. I'm going to hide this notebook under the mattress like you told me to do. And then I shall scream out the window for help. You heard the scream, didn't you, Hubert Armour? You heard it? No. No, I didn't. You heard the scream, all right. She made it when you opened the door, when you lifted the gun to fire on she her. She didn't scream. She just called out, don't, please. Oh. I admit it, I killed her. She was a stone around my neck, nagging, never well. I hated her. I wanted freedom. She wasn't well because she feared you, Hubert. She feared you all the while. It was fear that sent her down to a sanitarium. In her heart, Cora Armour feared death at your hands. And yet, without her notebook, you might have gone free of the crime of murdering her. until the second of her death, bring a murderer to justice. A notebook which spoke as strongly as if Cora had returned from the spirit world to point her finger at the guilty one. Yes, turn on your lights. Turn them on. I'll be back. 
pleasant dreams. <laughs> Characters, places, and occurrences mentioned in the Hermit's Cave are fictitious, and similarity to persons, places, and occurrences is purely accidental. Well, that's our show for this evening. I want to thank you all for listening. And remember, if you want to follow me, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror. 1970, or you can find me on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd One. Again, this is Keith, aka the Radio Show Nerd, signing off. <laughs>